This is episode 266 with certified running coach, co-host of the Race Mob podcast, and my roommate at last month's running retreat, Coach Bertrand Newson. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode features my fellow running coach, Bertrand Newson, who is affectionately called by everyone, Coach B. Coach B's passion for the sport is endless, and we have a very philosophical discussion today on coaching, what makes a good coach, how to get into coaching if that's a goal of yours, and how you can be coachable. If you're new here, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on what can keep you healthy, what can make you stronger, and what can make you more mentally tough. We have videos on almost everything. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning to see everything. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where all of this began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world level up their training with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset, plus all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. Learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We have a new sponsor today that I am absolutely thrilled to introduce you to. London-based brand Sore Running makes high-performance apparel that I've been loving for probably the last five months or so. If you watch our YouTube videos, you'll have seen me rocking a ridiculously short pair of blue one-inch split-leg shorts. Those are my sore running shorts. Their stuff is high-end, ensuring elite-level gear for everyone with technical fabrics and a very ergonomic fit. See for yourself at sorerunning.com, and make sure you use the code SRUN15 to save 15% off all of your orders until the end of October. I also have a big announcement. We have partnered with Long Run Coffee to develop the first-ever Strength Running Roast. The Strength Running Roast is electrolyte-infused coffee that can be ordered as light, medium, or dark roast, depending on your preference. It's designed for performance. It's infused with essential electrolytes, and it's free from sugar, additives, flavorings, and dyes. This was an easy partnership for me because I love coffee. Caffeine is actually the safest, most studied, and legal performance-enhancing drug on the market. If you're not running stimulated, you're running slower. Get your bag today and support both of our small businesses at strengthrunning.com slash roast. Okay, my guest today is Coach Bertrand Newson, who I'll refer to as Coach B throughout our conversation. He's a Roadrunners Club of America certified coach and someone who loves running so much, he left the hospitality industry as an executive to pursue his passion of coaching full-time. He now leads a coaching group of more than 700 in the Bay Area through his team, Too Legit Fitness. What impresses me most about Coach B is his love for the sport and how he can bring people together to appreciate running, to expect more from themselves, and to achieve their own best. Our conversation today focuses on coaching, what makes a good coach, how someone should get started with becoming a coach, certifications he recommends, and more. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Coach Bertrand Newson. Coach B, thanks for joining us today. Jason, thank you for having me. Happy uh, Monday. Uh, here we are in the midst of, what, fall and autumn? A um, couple of marathon majors on the horizon. And um, looking forward to catching up with you since we last uh, connected in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, we had a great time actually being roommates at the Endeavor Run Retreat last month. That was good. Uh, we're still talking after being roommates, so I, I guess it went all right. <laughs> it did. It did. Good times for sure. Lots of laughs. Uh, yeah, well, I, I had such a great time hanging out with you and talking with you about all things running over the course of the retreat that 
I wanted to have this conversation about coaching. And, and I think it's going to be really interesting from both a, you know, what makes a good coach? How do you find a coach? But also, if you are looking for a coach, how can you be the best runner you can be in that coaching relationship? So I thought it might be interesting to start with some context on who you are and how you came to being a coach, because, you know, you came to this profession a little bit later in life. And I think your journey really highlights your passion for the sport and for the job itself. Thank you. Uh, let's see here. My primary f- profession, because uh, we can say growing up, was in the hospitality business. So all things people. I managed hotels in the Bay Area for three decades. Loved it. It um, really allowed me to take in consideration um, people's expectations um, being proactive, being thoughtful, being able to connect, being able to listen. And uh, my last stint, I actually kind of retired from the business right before the pandemic. And I started running, as you mentioned, a little bit later in life, um, early 40s. And you know how welcoming the running community is. So after my first timed event, it wasn't an individual running event. It was actually a marathon relay with three other friends. And I was the least experienced runner in that group. It was in Oakland, California. It was um, the Oakland Running Festival in 2011, I believe. And I had a blast. Um, I took the the toughest route, meaning the most hills unknowingly. It was the shortest distance. So I volunteered for that, but didn't realize it was going to be full of hills. But after that, Jason, I mean, crossing the finish line, the team camaraderie, the spirit out there on the course, um, I felt like it was the Olympics for me. You know, I was that like just all in, um, being active all of my life, a baseball player growing up, um, always enjoyed uh, getting into the gym, but running was just different. I love the simplicity of it. Just being able to get outdoors in a pair of shoes. Um, you can do it with an accountability buddy or you can go it alone and listen to your own thoughts. And, I uh, started a running community that's now grown uh, to a running club of about a thousand people here in the Bay Area called Too Legit Fitness. I'm very proud of that. And the friendships that I've been able to cultivate through my love of running have been profound. Some of my closest friends, um, just by my way of loving to get outdoors and put one friend in front of the other, has allowed our friendship to grow and to flourish. The same thing with our mutual friend, Coach Matt Fitzgerald. So it's been the gift that keeps on giving. Um, And I knew that I was at my happiest point, Coach Jason, when it had anything to do with social fitness. And I couldn't silence that voice any longer. And it made me think, you know, am I at a stage where I want to cross over and be Coach B full time? So with that said, I elected to invest in self and um, looked at some certification bodies. And one of them was uh, Roadrunners Clubs of America, RRCA. Another one was USA Track and Field. Uh, went through both of those, got my certifications. And then it allowed me to feel a, a bit more like, okay, now I've arrived. And I can speak from a point of of, of insight. And the rest has been just history. I, I've really enjoyed all aspects of coaching. Um, it's allowed me to travel the country in part of coaching as well, and just being an active participant, navigating our way through the pandemic. And I'm sure we can talk a little bit through some of those other aspects of being a coach and the um, view of things through the athlete's eyes as well. You know, I think from my perspective, I certainly look at your past professional experience in the hospitality industry as likely one of the the big reasons why you are such a successful coach because like you said it gave you these skills of really listening to people and communicating and understanding where people were where they're coming from so that you can hopefully help them have the experience that they want to experience you know it's like are we talking about the hospitality industry right now or or coaching runners and it's very similar and, and I think that is such a big determinant of success in coaching. We can go into that a little bit more. Uh, the other thing that you said that really resonated with me was the simplicity of running. And 
you know, even though I, I think you need a little bit more than a pair of shoes to go for a run, Coach B, you know, I certainly saw you in shorts. <laughs> I encourage you to keep wearing those shorts when you go running, not just shoes. <laughs> um, you know, the, some, the element of simplicity with the sport is something that I fell in love with at the very beginning. And uh, it, it just is such a magnet to me. It draws me to the sport in a way that I actually have some trouble, you know, really uh, putting into words because I, I'm just drawn to that level of simplicity. Um, you know, I've, I've always heard this line that does resonate with me that coaching is an art and a science. And I'd love for you to, with that in mind, talk about what you think makes a good running coach. Excellent question. Um, what I find myself doing, Coach Jason, is going back to people who've had a profound impact in my life, whether they be aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents, uh, former athletic coaches, or teachers. All those individuals in various ways have pivotal, profound impact on our lives as we grow up and shape us. Um, and for me, the individuals that challenged me the individuals that were able to see the potential before I could, um, the coaches or individuals who were effective and clear and concise communicators, being able to just kind of put it out there and not kind of beat around the bush really worked well for me. Um, I think it's important to be organized and to be where you say you're going to be. So if it's time to show up somewhere and, um, get through the um, through the work lesson or the work-related objective or the workout of the day, um, that's important. So having expectations and being able to execute from start to finish is important. Um, and then being able to connect and understand the athlete's why. Again, that's where the, the ability to listen, and it's not the coach's, the coach's way um, or our own personal agenda, but understanding where the athlete is at. And sometimes it's not always about the X's and O's and executing the actual workout. There can be things that are going on in the background that the coach has to be able to listen and to be able to pick up on in work-life balance, anxiety, stress management, um, maybe some high points in the athlete's um athletic career or career in general, being able to pick up on those nuggets and use it as means to kind of steer the journey um, while being able to be flexible. And when we talk about schedules and task and time management, sometimes we can get fixated on, you know, X, Y, and Z, but being able to be flexible and nimble um, sometimes weather will dictate, sometimes injury and fatigue will dictate that. Sometimes the mood of the athlete will dictate that. But ultimately, our role as a coach is to keep the athlete engaged and moving forward where we're stringing along consistency. And yes, there are a lot of uh, philosophies as it relates to coaching principles. But ultimately, we're taking the athlete and fine-tuning their ability to be consistent, um, where they're flexing on intensity, balance with rest and recovery, but keeping them motivated through the process while still having a clear, measurable objective. And I think those are some key components to a, a good coach. Like if I were to prioritize in one, two, and three, being able to listen is is super important. Um, clear and concise communication. And your ability to motivate the athlete when some days they may not just be feeling it, either due to fatigue um, or working with those athletes that may be a bit overzealous, those type A personalities that are overachievers that want to keep going and going and going, being able to strike a chord and find the happy balance when we're always focused on the bigger picture. I think those three components make for a successful coach and athlete relationship. Yeah, I love that. And, and I love how you framed it as the coach athlete relationship, because that's really what it is. And, you know, my thought on this is that I, I think rigidity is probably the one of the one of the traits that will undermine a lot of coaches, because like you said, you need to be able to be flexible and really think about what the athlete both wants and needs. And it's almost this element of being a flexible problem solver, you know, 
doesn't matter what your agenda is or the workout that you're so proud of as a coach that you planned for the day. Maybe that's not going to happen today. And it's not about the workout. It's about the athlete. And, and I find that to be really helpful as we think about, you know, the type of person that makes a good coach is the type of person who loves the sport so much that they're willing to modify it in any way possible for the athlete's benefit so that they can continue on and keep going after whatever goal that they might have. Um, you know, you, you did mention some coaching certifications. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with those, whether you rec recommend other coaches go for uh, a certain certification is, is one enough? Should you get two? You could certainly go down the rabbit hole and start getting certified from every, you know, governing body that exists out there. So, you know, is one enough? How do you think about all that? Excellent question. Um, the first entity that I um, got my certification through was uh, Roadrunners Club of America. Um, highly respected, time tested. And I think, you know, if I were to recommend, absolutely without question. Um, the why behind that, um, the, I guess, head trainer, um, Randy, Randy, Randy A, um, is, I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. Um, now they've morphed due to the pandemic where you're able to get that coaching certification in, I believe, a two day, two or three day format online and virtual where before it was predominantly all in person, which I really enjoy personally. If I were, if I had a choice to go through coaching certification virtually or in person, I would always choose the in-person component. Do I think something is lost in the um, rollout of the curriculum? Uh, I do from the interaction that you're having with your fellow classmates. And when I went through my certification in 2017, 2018, I, what I remember the most is those sidebar conversations, the problem solving, the um, training philosophy, sharing our own personal journeys, the rapport building, the fellowship, that kind of stuff was priceless. And some of those people I'm still very close to to this day. And it's a little tougher to, do, to get that level of connect, connection when it's through a virtual format. Now, a lot of coaching entities are, are going online, and I understand that. Um, I also, let's see, working with USA Track and Field as a certified uh, race official, I went through that, and a USA certified uh, track coach. I've en I enjoyed that experience. Again, that was an in-person experience. Um, as part of the Pacific Association, um, I think the largest um, group within USA Track and Field is the Pacific West Coast region. Great work. And I've been very fortunate to get out and coach uh, uh, referee some Pac-12 uh, track events, which is really, really cool. I mean, watch, you know, Stanford and SC and uh, Cal, et cetera. Um, so that level of D1 athlete has been really, really cool. Um, one that I would highly recommend that will be rolling out here in the next couple of months would be 80-20 Endurance with uh, Coach Matt Fitzgerald and his team. Um, they're rolling out an online curriculum, um, which, you know, one of the most popular, um, running and triathlon related. And I think just endurance sports in general, 80, 20, um, endurance training philosophy, um, really focus on balancing intensity and effort has been, um, I know that I've seen behind the scenes and, um, that will be rolled out, I think before year end. So, um, but the two that I've gone through have loved because of the in-person component. And as I mentioned earlier, I know that a lot of entities are rolling those out virtually via Zoom and other formats. Um, and I think having a couple of different points of view, perspectives, helps the coach be more well-rounded. Because I know we're talking about running and endurance and you know all the things in between. But having different points of perspective, I think, ultimately helps the coach and gives the athlete a little bit more variety and the depth of knowledge, um, which is good. So those are a few. Another would be that I would consider, I think, uh, Jack Daniels, the VDOT, um, is something that I'm certainly cont contemplating. Um, and I 
love to read. Um, I follow you, um, your online content, the educational component from all your YouTube videos, your uh, podcast series, you know, are one of the best in the United States worldwide, in my opinion, not just saying that because I know you, but because you have helped myself and so many other athletes because of your approach, your grasp on the subject matter, your relatability, um, and it can apply to the everyday runner, the blue collar runner, the couch to 5k, or that individual who's, you know, run Boston and has completed the marathon major circuit and everyone in between. So thank you for sharing your love of running, because that is a way to help coaches, depending on where they are in their own coaching journey, just by expanding the mind, listening to quality, creative um, podcasts that have their finger on the pulse as it relates to the latest and greatest, as it relates to coaching philosophy, um, wins and losses and everything in between. You know, I will say that when I was first becoming a coach, sort of in that 2010, 2011 time period, I wish there were more running podcasts that I could have listened to because it's just such an incredible opportunity to learn more about the sport in, in such a in such a way that is just so effective because you can listen to an individual podcast episode about a very niche topic with two brilliant people and just hear them talk about it from so many different angles. I think it's an incredible resource to, to any aspiring coach. And, you know, when it comes to those individual certifications, you know, I, I don't particularly you know, feel very ideological about any of them. You know, I think RRCA, USA Track and Field, uh, the VDOT program. Uh, I know Matt is working on his 80-20 training certification. I think all of those, I think, are, are really fantastic. But I, I like the direction you took your answer and that you also talked about some of the a little bit more informal education that you've done on the side with reading books and listening to podcasts. Because initially, that was my whole introduction to the actual training theory and physiology and biomechanics and all of the, you know, the more niche topics that are in the sport of running that coaches have to understand. And if I kind of showed you my library of running books, you might call the authorities. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit strange. <laughs> yeah, I've, seen it, I've books. seen it on, um, yeah, through some of your, uh, YouTube content, um, and your, 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 uh, video podcast. So very impressive. And where you've shared some of your favorite titles, um, or you've had those authors on to explain um, and share some of those fantastic takeaways. And again, it's a way for you in the midst of a workout on a long run um, while driving to learn on the fly. Um, incredibly valuable and very helpful. Yeah. And I always think that's the first step so one of the questions I wanted to, to talk about with you was, you know, if someone's thinking about becoming a coach themselves, what does that process look like? What should they start with? How should they go about becoming a coach? And, you know, my thought on this is that start by learning as much as you can. And I think the, the very fundamental building blocks can be done just by reading a lot of books, maybe listening to podcasts. Otherwise, a little bit of self-taught education can really go a long way. And there are so many amazing running books out there where as soon as you start reading three, four, five, six, seven training books where you're actually learning about the physiology behind training, I think it's at that point that you really start connecting the dots. And it doesn't matter if you're reading Matt Fitzgerald or Jack Daniels or any other author once you start getting to four or five books into the same subject, you really start seeing the similarities. And then you also, which I think is even more interesting, you start to see the little areas where coaches disagree on things. And you really start to understand that a lot of the times, it's almost a disagreement that doesn't really matter too much. You know, it's an element of style. It's where the art of coaching comes in. Because at this point, I think we have a pretty good firm handle on the science of training, how distance runners should generally go about their training. And then a lot of the differences are in style, approach, and personalization to the individual athlete. But I, I cannot get behind this any more than to say, 
yes, read a bunch of running books, really start doing a lot of that self-education for yourself because it can be enormously helpful in, you know, getting you to understand the sport. You know, something I say on this podcast all the time is knowledge is a competitive advantage and it'll certainly help you make wiser decisions about your own training. But, you know, if you want to be making wise decisions for other people's training, it really comes in handy to have a good firm grasp on some of the best running books out there. It is essential. We have to have a, a, a very good understanding of the, uh, I, guess, I guess you can say the X's and O's, the, 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 the core fundamentals of growing somebody's endurance, speed, and everything else in between. Why? There's, there is inherent risk when you were telling somebody to get out and go run fast and run long, um, to jump, to move left, right, lateral, all that other stuff. Um, we're impacting somebody's health. So you, you have to understand the, the mental aspect, the ability to motivate, but also the physiological component as well. And we want to keep people active, happy, and healthy. And if, as a coach, we're prescribing too much intensity too soon, we're going to have athletes that are going to be on the sideline. And the last thing we want is because of the training load, um, not being completely um, in sync with where the athlete is at, that we're not able to, to string along training days of consistency. So we want to avoid that. Um, and let's see, um, how else can I speak further to that point? Well, I was going to ask you a, a little bit of a different question. It just popped into my head. What are your thoughts on the role of intuition in coaching? Because this was something that our friend, mutual friend Matt Fitzgerald, was talking about at Endeavor Run with Ben Rosario, the coach of Northern Arizona Elite, the team that he trained with for, I think, about six or eight weeks before his PR marathon. And he said that he just had this intuitive grasp of training and what would work for athletes. And that's really hard to defend as you know, you're, you're a coach, you're talking about the importance of education and some of these certifications so that we're all talking the same language as coaches. But on the same side, you know, I'm someone who grew up with the sport of running high school, college. I've been fully enmeshed in the sport since I was 14 years old. I do feel like I have a bit of this intuitive grasp on the what works, what doesn't work, how different workouts will make athletes feel so that if I'm planning a weekly training schedule, I know how they're going to feel after a hard day's work. I know how they're going to feel the day before and what they should be doing the day before to help prime themselves for that harder workout. And that's really hard to put into words. And so I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on just this intuitive role that some coaches have that they deploy in their coaching practice. I think that's very valid. Um, but I think that is cultivated, uh, Coach Jason, over time um, because it's based on real life experience. Um, as, as you or we as coaches, if we've um, been coaching for a while and we've worked with several different athletes at different levels, different stages, different abilities um, through injury and through PRs, um, through off seasons, you there's a an emotional um, baseline that you can start to just see some trends and just feel it. Um, where you referenced early in our conversation, the coach's ability to modify workouts um, in the athlete's best interest. Or you can sense where an athlete is at emotionally with maybe other things going in their life, going on in their life, um, where uh, family matters, um, work matters, um, not being where they would like to in regards to peaking before a goal race, being able to sense all those. It may not all be X's and O's built in on their training calendar, but being able to feel that and sense maybe we need to push. Maybe we need to pull back. Um, maybe we need just to mix it up. A coach with experience, with a nice little body of, of, of work from previous experience, that intuition kind of bubbles to the surface. And I think that does give a more seasoned coach the ability with confidence to kind of trust their gut. And even if it's just to ask 
another question or two or three and listen a little bit longer because you can feel when there's a bit of a disconnect with the athlete or the athlete is maybe not performing based on previous workout activity or previous race results. Um, and that sometimes progress isn't always moving this way, not moving linearly. It's sometimes you um, could, there could be some addition by subtraction. Um, we could have a workup. This just really sucked. That was really tough. But there are a lot of lessons that can be learned in that. And having some good intuition and being able to feel, being able to gleam and extract those, um, the, the good out of a tough workout and being able to connect that with the athlete, I think can set us up for future successes that um, there's always opportunity to learn something, even when it may not be the best initial um, workout experience. That sort of reminds me of the line that runners ought to have endless optimism, but a very short memory. So they're always thinking about the, the silver linings of any bad race or workout, but they have a very short memory on the bad race or workout. They don't let it hold them back and stop them. And, and I think that's a, a kind of an important way to go about your running so that you're always pulling those little actionable insights from a bad workout or a failed long run or whatever it might be. And, you know, I have a good example of this, you know, sort of like uh, insight through experience over time. You know, I just had a, a one of my coaching clients last week was emailing me and, and things were going great in his training. He kind of had a tough week, but, you know, he was being his own cheerleader and he was excited about, you know, kind of re-upping and attacking the next week of training. And I just had this really bad feeling about things because he had a workout that was too fast. He also did his long run too fast. He also started this new job and it was a very stressful week for him. You know, a lot of extra fatigue from that. It needed a little bit of a niggly plantar fascia where his foot was bothering him. And I said, you know what? This is four red flags. Let's take two or three really easy days. Let's let the body just kind of reset. Let's get back to neutral. I'm not using any fancy coaching terms right now. I'm just saying let's rest a little bit and then we can get back into your normal schedule. But there's too much going on right now for me to be really confident about you giving your training 100%. We've overreached a little bit. You've got things going on in your life. You've got a niggle. Let's just chill out a little bit. Your fitness is not going to deteriorate in a couple days just by doing some shorter, easier runs. And you're going to be a much better runner in moving forward from that. And I think that's a maybe a, a real world example of what we were just talking about. Yeah, it's an excellent example. Yeah, because again, that's your intuition. I mean, you're able to you're able to feel and see those red flags because prior experience being in tune and in sync with the athlete and thinking, okay, if we push a little bit more here, we can find ourselves taking two or three steps backwards and we don't want to do that. So being able to communicate, hey, let's just pump the brakes here a bit. Um, still a lot of time on the calendar. Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, may have prevented likely, um, you know, that plantar fasciitis to kind of flare up and be chronic and then impact subsequent weeks and months of training. Good job, coach Jason. <laughs> well, thanks coach. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think it's that kind of, of foresight that only experience will get you. So if you're looking to become a coach, I think it's always great to, to learn more about the sport, but also get involved in the sport, be immersed in the sport, really get obsessed with the sport. Because if you love it, if you have that intrinsic motivation to be a part of the sport, to help others excel in the sport, you're going to be an unstoppable individual when it comes to you being a coach. I could not have said that better. I mean, that's one thing that um, we both know you have to, you have to love it. You have to love it because it's not going to, in many cases, make you a millionaire where like, you know, I don't, I don't have to work, you know, I, I, you have to love the craft. You have to enjoy, um, you know, be, in some cases, putting yourself in the athlete's shoes and asking yourself, how, what would motivate me with as busy as I am with my work schedule, with my life obligations to 
find the time to get in, knock out 50 to 60 miles, you know, in some cases, getting in two a days, running before work or running after work, um, incorporating some level of strength work while balancing everything else. Um, there is an, that there's an art. So the coach's ability to again, be in sync with the athlete on what, why are we doing this? What is the motivation being able to, in some cases, visualize taking the athlete to that Chicago marathon finish line, you know, where you can say, Hey, can you see that metal being putting around your neck? Can you look down at your watch and see what that time is going to be? Um, where the athlete can feel it. So it can help offset those days when they feel like they have the weight of the world on top of them. And maybe it is a day where, you know what, let's make it a rest day or active recovery day, maybe giving the athlete a bit of a break and help them work their way through where they don't think that I'm I'm losing so much momentum here that I'm going to lose fitness, staying present with the athlete, keeping them focused on the bigger picture um, and staying engaged in the training. And that fine balance of getting enough work, because ultimately, if we're chasing finish times and growing distance, it's going to be much tougher to do so if the athlete and coach are not getting in the physical work. That has to happen. You can't always think, oh, you know what? I, I want to be faster. And then you're faster. You have to make the time to put the work in. And that's the message that I you know, we as coaches try to stress to the athlete and we want to enjoy putting in the work as much as possible without it feeling like work. We want to have fun in the process. You can have fun and run. You can have fun and get through a training block. Um, and I think good coaches, informed coaches, um, enthusiastic coaches that enjoy working with people are the coaches that are in most cases the most successful because they get the most out of the athlete. And yes, it's important to be optimistic and be rah-rah, but also being real with the athlete when there may be a gap in expectations, when that athlete, you know, is probably a year or two away from being able to be Q, but maybe they're just, you know, just getting to the half marathon distance and feel that they want to, you know, take on, a marathon, not a full marathon, a marathon, um, and BQ. And if there's, we need more time in the training process for that athlete to mature and and gain their cardio endurance and a coach being able to say, it may be, it is going to be in your future, but this calendar year, it's, it's not likely. I think it's important that athletes will appreciate level of, of, of direct, frank conversation to kind of reshape the level of training and look more at a macro perspective, the bigger picture. Yeah. You know what? I've always thought too, that a a big part of a healthy coach athlete relationship is that the level of communication and how well they get along their ability to uh, the coach to motivate the athlete. And a lot of that has to do with just their personalities meshing a little bit because there's so many different types of coaches out there. There's hands-off coaches, there are helicopter coaches, there are drill sergeant coaches, and and everyone in between. And I was going to ask you what you think someone should look for when they are hiring a coach. And I think after the basics, after the certification, after someone who's demonstrated that they actually have a firm understanding of the training principles and the philosophy behind distance running, but after that, it's primarily, do you vibe well with the coach? Do you guys get along? You know, is it someone that you can envision yourself talking to on a regular basis? Because you could hire the smartest coach on the planet, but if you guys just don't really get along, it's going to be really difficult for you to have a productive relationship. So I'm curious your thoughts on just this perspective that you kind of have to like your coach and vice versa and, and have that productive relationship where you just get along a little bit. Yeah, it's important. It It is the kind of the secret sauce. One, the ability to articulate goals, understanding the, where the athlete has been, and of course, understanding the coach's work history as well. Sometimes that coach may come onto the athlete's radar by way of referral. So the athlete has some insight to um, the, the level of consistency, 
um, working relationship with someone that the athlete knows, which is huge. But in some cases, athletes are being referred to us through, um, they may see um, social media ads or follow us or be recommended through other means. And it's a, a courting process. But as you mentioned, kind of getting through those initial formalities, there has to be a level of, do I feel this individual can, do I feel comfortable in just opening up? Do I feel comfortable in, can I work, will I work hard? And not that you're trying, you don't want to disappoint the coach, but are they pulling a little extra out of you? Can you see and feel that in the initial conversation or conversations? Um, Do we feel that the coach is asking good questions and listening to us and being able to, to draw out some measurables, which is important because it can't be, we'll just come out and run and you run faster. So you, being able to establish some baselines in that initial, those few conversations is important. Is there a level of trust, which is 100% essential? Um, and do we feel that this coach will be able to help us when we are not at our best, um, maybe through injury, which happens from time to time, um, or maybe as life is happening around the athlete, is this somebody that I feel can be steady, stable, and give me a platform and a space to have something that is still keeping me motivated and engaged that I feel good about where there may be some adversity happening on the periphery. Um, and if you're able to, to answer yes, as an athlete, when you're contemplating hiring a coach, this is a pretty good bet. Um, and you'll know early if it just seems a little off, um, if there is not much of a connection. And if that's the case, just it's okay to keep on looking. And some coaches are, we're doing the same thing as well. We want to see some of those same um, things in an athlete because we know the importance on having a connection. Um, and ultimately, the proof is in the pudding once we get started on the training journey. Um, sometimes we have athletes that are on it, knocking out all the workouts. And sometimes we have athletes that will kind of go off the radar, so to speak, don't communicate that often and maybe knocking out all the workouts or off the radar and there's a complete disconnect. And, you know, we, we, we work with those unique situations as they happen, but if we can sense the level of, uh, compatibility, um, and sometimes that that is intuitive and it just sets coach and athlete up for, um, future success and you, and that's what we all want. We want what's best for the athlete. And that's someone that's healthy and making steady progress and growing and learning about the sport as well. Um, and we've probably both had examples where some of our athletes have been inspired through having success on our coaching watch that's compelled them to take the leap and become coaches themselves, which is really cool. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that you said that I want to highlight that I thought is really special is the fact that your coach should motivate you in a way that you don't want to disappoint them. I really like that. And of course, look, we have to be intrinsically motivated. The number one person we don't want to disappoint should be ourselves because our coach is really just our support person. He's there to help us, you know, sort of get to where we want to be. But there is something really powerful about an individual who gets the best out of you. And my college cross-country coach was someone I remember from my past who occupied this spot for me. You know, I was running because I loved the sport. I wanted to be the fastest runner I could be. You know, being, quote, one of the fast guys was something I always wanted. And that was my singular obsession. But at the same time, I knew my coach cared about me, wanted me to be successful so that if I got hurt doing something stupid and coach B, I did a lot of stupid things when I was 20 <laughs> years old, <laughs> then I just was so upset that I was going to inevitably disappoint my coach. Yeah, I, I didn't do the morning run today. I'm sorry, coach. Or, you know, I didn't plan my training well during summer training and now my foot hurts and I have to take five days off. Those kinds of issues 
I felt were so almost embarrassing because they were disappointing my coach and, and not in an unhealthy way. I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea, but it was such a magnetic pull to do my best and to do things in a professional way. You know, not that I was a pro runner, but I wanted to approach it professionally. I wanted to do the right thing when it came to my training. And I think when everything else fits together, you're going to get that magnetic pull. Your coach is going to pull you in the right direction, motivate you to be your best version of yourself. And if you can find that kind of a relationship, that's where the secret sauce is. And I think that's what helps runners become their best version of themselves. Now, Coach B, I want to flip the tables a little bit and ask you, you know, we've been talking a lot about coaches and what makes a good running coach and how we can become better coaches and all that. Let's talk about the runners on, on the other side of the equation. What makes a runner coachable? Excellent question, Jason. Uh, let's see here. Things that come top of mind. First off, it's good when the athlete has a sense on what they want to do. Um, what is the goal at hand? And if they're able to articulate that, and it's sometimes it's, I want to run my very first half marathon. I want to run my first marathon. Or if they run those distances before, including 5K, 10K, one mile, um, they're seeking a time-based goal. Real easy for coach and athlete to connect in that way. So being able to articulate what their goals are is important. If the athlete has worked with the coach before in the past, the athlete's ability to share what did and most importantly, didn't work well. I think that's good a good opportunity for the coach to understand what those gaps were, maybe in communication, philosophy, um, just in style in general, understanding what the athlete likes and where to push all the right buttons to, again, help the athlete through their week-to-week journey is important. The athlete's ability to handle some constructive feedback, um, some areas of opportunity. Ultimately, there are going to be some things or workouts that maybe don't go as planned. And you used a reference earlier where hypothetically an athlete is just a bit too aggressive, going about things at a much faster pace, higher intensity, going over the prescribed mileage goal. Um, Even if they've communicated that they're um, dealing with some pain or injury, that an athlete's ability to kind of pull it back um, when the coach is calling out, if we say, hey, good intentions, but we can save that level of focus and intensity for later in the training journey. I, the coach, want to express why I need us to pull back the intensity, to pull back the volume. So, again, an athlete that's able to understand some constructive feedback. An athlete that has has good non-running habits. What are some examples of those? Doing the recovery work in the downtime, um, massage percussion gun, uh, hot therapy, cold therapy, Um, yoga, strength training, um, being able to enjoy and understand the importance of the non-running specific workouts makes for a good athlete, in my opinion, especially as it relates to um, post-workout recovery and incorporating a couple of days of strength training, an athlete that is able to understand that, knowing that the benefits, it's going to make them more injury resistant, um, help them with their speed and stamina goals and help them get stronger in their core all makes for a win-win scenario for both coach and athlete. Um, those are, are, are a couple of examples I can go on if you like as well. Yeah, I can add a couple too that from my perspective, I think tying into your thought that you have to be able to accept constructive criticism and use it to your advantage. I, I think any athlete should be willing to change some things because any coach that you hire is probably going to have you start doing some things that you haven't done before, or maybe they're going to have you restart some things that you used to do that you don't particularly like doing. Like maybe you're someone who doesn't want to really engage with some of those recovery habits that you were discussing earlier. Well, those might be necessary. And 
you know, I'm probably not going to get along very well with a runner who absolutely refuses to do any kind of strength training whatsoever. And it's probably not going to work very well in that kind of a, a coaching relationship. So I think anybody who is looking for a coach should have a good growth mindset. They should want to change, evolve, and grow so that they can become the runner that they think they can be. And the, the final thing I'll say too is in this era of a lot of online or virtual coaching, I think it's really important to be a good communicator, to really be able to talk to your coach about how you're feeling, how the training is impacting you. Um, you know, all of the the little things that a coach might intuitively grasp by watching you on a daily basis, you know, but if you have an online coach, they're not going to be there with you on your long run. They're not going to be able to watch you for every workout that you run. They're not really going to be able to visually ascertain your fatigue levels by how you look on repetition five of a workout. They just don't get that kind of granular data from your training. They are instead going to have to rely on you to communicate that. How did you feel over the course of that workout? How did it make you feel right afterwards or later that evening or the next day? How did it impact your next run? And I've found that of any coaching difficulties that I may have had over the last you know 10 years or so, I think most of them stem from just not getting enough information about how the training is impacting the runner. So I think being able to communicate digitally, whether that's through the written word or scheduling a phone call or a FaceTime or something similar so that you can talk to your coach. I think that is one of the cornerstones of that successful coach athlete relationship. Yeah, without question, Jason, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, It is in the athlete's best interest post-workout to have moments of self-reflection and to utilize a, a, a diary uh, something along the lines to jot down how that workout felt. And depending on whatever coach to athlete platforms we're working on, um, they're called different things, but basically, basically being able to articulate um, what felt good, what felt off, and just to kind of get at the gist of a workout and the coach's ability to ask the question as you just uh, laid out, how did it feel? And then for the coach, just to you know, kind of bite their tongue and allow the athlete to kind of fill in, um, and not uh, start rattling off. Well, your cadence was this, your pace was this, the elevation game was this. I see the map. Let the athlete share how that effort felt, and it allows us to kind of t- it takes the coach there on site to a certain degree. And it's so important in this world of virtual coaching because we can see that and we can see splits and all that other analytical stuff with technology, but we're not physically there on site. So the athlete's ability, again, the self-reflection because it allows the athlete to replay and then articulate. There's lots that can be gained in that conversation. So it's important for the coach to to have those moments and allow it to happen and to hold the athlete accountable that, hey, great job. I want to to see. So the athlete to get in the habit of writing out their post-workout recap is very important. Yeah. And I think this sort of gets to the the art and science of coaching because you talked about the numbers, you know, the really formal metrics that us running geeks love, you know, the splits, the distance, any intervals or repetitions that we ran, the volume of it all. And that's all great. You know, that's, that's some of the greatest stuff about running, right? How far did you run? How fast did you do it? I mean, if you were to boil down running in one sentence, there you go. <laughs> how fast did you run and how far did you go? But at the same time, the art side of coaching is the difference between a qualitative answer and a quantitative answer. The data is the quantitative stuff. I want to know how far you ran and how fast you did it. But then I want to give you a paragraph of blank space so that you can tell me how it felt. Tell me a story. Give me the narrative. And if you can do that, then the numbers actually make sense. Because if I told my college coach, hey, I ran a five-minute mile, he's going to have a million questions for me. Was this five-minute mile at the end of a workout? Was it without a warm up was this in a race 
how are you running this five minute mile? There's so many things to know about that one performance that just the number itself is almost meaningless because the context is what tells the story. And if you don't know what story is being told to you as a coach, how are you supposed to coach? And a a nice way to kind of bring this full circle, virtual coaching is is here to stay. Um, That is just a part of how some athletes are going to be, have um, more selection and say with the coaches that work best for them. And they may not be in their own neighborhood. They may be live out of state. That's that that's, you know, we, we, our business has grown because of virtual coaching, but when the coach has the opportunity, Jason, to get on site with an athlete and the coach has the opportunity to be on site on race day with an athlete, um, it just takes things to a different level where all the hard work culminates in race day. And I had the good fortune yesterday to be able to see that with a couple of different teammates and and athletes. Um, The Santa Cruz half Ironman happened and there were upwards of five teammates, a couple of athletes that I was able to get out on course and watch them in action um, to be able to not technically pace them, but to give some words of encouragement um, for them to know that coach was on site and to help them through their journey, which they were prepared for. But just to, to that level of camaraderie, um, to bring everything to race day, um, the enthusiasm, um, the energy, the um, culmination of crossing that finish line, um, seeing somebody in the pain cave and being able to work their way through it, stressing the importance later in the race as it starts to heat up, got to stay on top of hydration, got to take in some nutrition. Um, Just a wonderful experience. So on the occasions where coaches have the opportunity to get out in a training run with your athlete um, or to get out to a race day with your athlete, it can make a signature mark difference um, in the coach to athlete um, relationship. I can't agree with that more. I've I've had the wonderful opportunity to meet a whole variety of my own athletes, both at races and, you know, maybe they're just coming through town and they want to meet up and I'll run and meet them somewhere and we'll go to the track and run a workout together. That's happened before. And I love those experiences. And you're absolutely right that they help build a much better relationship, uh, both you know, just generally speaking, you have better relationship with your athlete and with your coach, but also from the coach's perspective, it's really helped me get to know the person as a runner a little bit more and at a level that I never would have if I wasn't able to visually see them do a workout or run a race. Because now when they tell me, hey, I ran a seven minute mile, now I get to say to myself, okay, I can actually picture this. And if this is a similar workout, I can actually envision how they look and their fatigue levels and you know how their form starts falling apart at the end of a workout when they're really tired and, and all those little nuances that are very helpful to coaches. If you can just experience it a couple times, it can really influence your relationship. Yeah. Race day, just off the charts. And then like this morning, I had uh, two on-site coaching uh, clients, two different areas in the Bay Area, track base and their youth athletes, which is again, Super cool. One thing to work with adults, um, but working with youth that are maybe running is not their primary sport. Um, one is a actually these two were both uh, avid and accomplished tennis players. So I was retained to help them um, improve endurance and speed and agility and just their attitude and um, able to push and getting up you know, before school and showing that level of dedication being very, very receptive to coaching um, has been uh, very enlightening and inspiring for me. So love it. Coach B, that means you must have been up before school started for these training sessions. That That's an early day for, for a grown man. It is. <laughs> it is. But it's a labor of love, Jason. It does. One thing that I failed to mention when I made the transition from hotel executive to full-time coach is I don't feel like I'm working. Every day is like, you know, it's like a fairy tale to a certain degree. I'm, I'm uh, getting so much um, emotional equity 
and compensation from working with runners, athletes, people uh, to be happier, happier, happier and healthier version of themselves. It's fantastic. And again, um, it it this has allowed our paths to cross, which I'm very grateful for. And to share my journey, um, this is a small little part of this thing we called running. Um, there's so many unique and wonderful stories. And that's a, another thing um, from a coaching perspective is to understand the athlete's journey and their story and realize that it is bigger than the impact we may be having on them from a, a coaching standpoint for a defined amount of time. Those athletes may be coming into our lives for a six-month stint, four-month stint, year-long stint. In some cases, they can be, you have uh athletes that you've probably coached for several years. Um, and they become friends. They become like part of the family. Um, and that level of trust and enjoying the bigger picture story while they realize some success on the track, on the trails or on the road is the the gift that keeps on giving. Hell yeah, coach. This is why I wanted to talk to you today. I love hearing your thoughts about a sport and a profession that you love so much. And I hope that this has been helpful for anybody who is thinking about becoming a coach or is thinking about hiring a coach to hear both my and Coach B's perspective. So, um, Coach, thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and all of your insights. Let us know where we can find you out there in the interwebs if folks want to follow along with your journey a little bit more. Oh, well, thank you. Probably the easiest way would be via Instagram, uh, Too Legit Fitness or Bertrand Newson, B-E-R-T-R-A-N-D, Newson, N-E-W-S-O-N. It's a great way to plug in and follow our journey. Um, or via TooLegitFitness.com or another um, uh, fitness community that I'm a part of that you were on our podcast, myself and my dear friend Kevin Chang with uh, RaceMob at RaceMob.com where we have a event race search engine that gets about a hundred thousand unique visitors a month. Um, and you can find races that work well for you anywhere across the United States. So, um, we offer training plans and, uh, virtual online or a la carte training. And again, just trying to help all athletes of all different fitness levels, um, just be a, a little faster, fitter and happier. Um, much like you've been doing for, uh, a decade plus, Jason. We appreciate all that you do, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on your podcast and looking forward to connecting uh, again in the near future. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, we're going to have all the links to those things in the show notes. So thanks again, Coach B. You're welcome. Thanks for listening in, my friends. If you found value in this episode with Coach B, I would really appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts. And for those who want to learn more about our coaching options, go to strengthrunning.com slash coaching. And if you love this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. Our newest sponsor is Soar Running. Learn more about them at soarrunning.com and be sure to use code SRUN15 for 15% off your order until the end of October. I have been inseparable from my one-inch split-leg sore shorts and my sore painter's hat this entire summer. And for good reason. Their gear is elite level. They have technically groundbreaking wet and cold weather gear that's guided by a function-first mentality. And the result is just amazing apparel that's comfortable, it's super lightweight, and it's just effective at helping you train really well. They're at the forefront of design innovation with ergonomic designs, cutting-edge fabrics, and they continuously update their clothing so that it just keeps getting better. A good example is their men's racing singlet, which is the lightest on the market at only 48 grams in a size medium. I've got this racing singlet, and it just doesn't really feel like anything. It just feels like you're holding a tissue in your hand. I cannot wait to wear it at my next race. I have loved everything I've worn from Soar because it's made for performance and it just fits really well. Get equipped for all of your running adventures this fall at SoarRunning.com and get 15% off your order with code SRUN15. That's S-R-U-N-1515 at SoarRunning.com. But don't wait, this code is only valid through the end of October. Finally, I hope you check out the Strength Running Roast at strengthrunning.com slash roast. 
Ever since I used to drink a water bottle full of cold black coffee before my cross-country and track races in college, much to the dismay of my coach, I don't think he was up on the latest caffeine science, and he thought I was dehydrating myself. But I have been hooked ever since on coffee as a pre-race or even a pre-workout ritual. Caffeine is one of the most studied drugs on the planet, and its performance-enhancing benefits are undeniable, they're proven, legal, and profound. And thanks to Long Run Coffee, you can now order the Strength Running Roast, an electrolyte-infused coffee. You can order it as light, medium, or dark roast, depending on your preference. And it's designed for performance. It's infused with essential electrolytes. It's free of sugar, additives, flavorings, and dyes. So I really love what they stand for there. Earlier this year, their founder, Tom, got in touch with me, and he sent me a bag of their coffee. And I was a little bit skeptical at first. I wasn't sure if the electrolytes added to the coffee would affect the taste. But my hesitation was misplaced. This stuff is delicious. Now, even their dark roast was great. And that's because I'm a light roast kind of guy. I like a uh, just a lighter flavor to the coffee. But I enjoy the dark roast. And considering I'm not a fan of big breakfasts, this coffee is giving me more of what I need before my morning runs. And I really appreciate that. Partnering with another small business, just like Strength Running, was a no-brainer for me. I love supporting the small businesses that keep this sport moving forward. I hope you feel the same way. Order your bag of the Strength Running Roast at strengthrunning.com roast. If you haven't had a good cup of coffee before a race, it's time to get wild and race faster. Thanks for being here, everyone. Hope you enjoy the show, and we'll be in touch soon.